and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Special day as we kick off our new series titled The Discipleship Pathway. Now, if you're new to Bent Tree, a very special welcome to you. Uh, and, and maybe you're just kind of coming for the first time. This is great. Uh, this is a very special day because we've got a series starting today that we've been preparing for for a couple of years now. It, it's been a joy to work on this series and, and prepare it for you. And I'm excited to see uh, how God is going to use this in our lives, both personally and as a church family. Uh, the whole staff has been working, not just on the sermon, but uh, on this is a new way to do ministry. Usually, we are working our way through whole books of the Bible, uh, one verse at a time. In fact, last week, we completed John chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, and yay, everybody say yay, and that only took 60 weeks to get there, and we'll come back to that series, and we're ta- taking a break break for just a bit uh, to do this new short series. Now, this new series, I pray, is a milestone in the life of the maturity of our church family overall, and for you personally. I, I It's something that I have critically uh, looked at and, and think, man, for the next phase of our church's growth in maturity and people that, that God wants us to be in northern Colorado, we needed this series. That's because we think it's this thing we call the church, this gathered body of believers is God's plan to reach a messed up world with the gospel, right? Amen. And you've heard me say that the church is God's plan A, for reaching the people, and there is no plan B. I mean, as a church, we want to see lost people found, people saved by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. We want to snatch people off the highway to hell and put them on a path to following Jesus as Lord. For each and every person that God gives us, that we would help them grow and become all that God designed them to be. Because you see, the the local church, and I'm talking Bentry here, and every local church that's a part of the big church throughout the world, throughout time, really, it isn't just a bunch of individuals who happen to kind of get together in a room because their pastor's rugged good looks. <laughs> Obviously, you know that's not the case here. <clears throat> the church is made up of a group of people that God carefully planned, intentionally called, and purposely brings together as the body of believers to function as a unit to carry out his plan. There's, there's, something, there's something here that is very supernatural. This place is no accident. Your being a part of this place, no accident. You see, we are much stronger together as a church operating as a unit with uh, each person bringing his or her own individual gifts functioning with that purpose. Now, before we're saved, we have this operating system in our head that says, well, it's all about satisfying my longings. It's like we look at every event, every relationship, every opportunity in the world through kind of a lens that says, well, it's all about making me happy. That's why I live life. 
But the gospel of Jesus changes that as the Holy Spirit moves and works in the lives uh, of every believer. As we're born again, we get this new heart and a new mind and these new desires of the things of God. He enables us uh, to say, here's who we really are. And it's at that point we realize that we are sinners in the eyes of a holy God that drives us to the cross of Christ for forgiveness of sins, for refuge in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, we're no longer enemies then of God. We are made then into children. We're adopted into God's family through Jesus, his death. That's what we call justification. That is being saved, regenerated. Now, once that happens, once we have been made right with God, we begin to get this new way of seeing the world, a different set of lenses. Now, how is justification different from sanctification? We talk about sanctification. Sanctification is this lifelong process that God begins to uh, renew us, give us a new way to think, a new way to feel with that new heart and mind. Suddenly, we begin to see it's not about us. It's about God. And when that happens, we begin to see it's about other people God has placed in our lives intentionally. Family, friends, people at school, at work. We call that our sphere of influence God has placed us in. We begin to see then the urgency to share the love of Christ Jesus with this world where we live. To reach them with the gospel and then help them grow into all that God created them to be. As God uses individual Christians as a light in their unique sphere of influence to bring them into the world of the church. The church then is designed to grow that way. You bringing people in. And listen, we don't cause the growth, do we? We don't cause the life uh, change in people. The people, uh, the apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7. He says, so neither he nor he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So how do we do this? How can we make this work so that all these people that come into the church then grow into this fully mature Christ follower? And then they, in turn, help other people grow into Christ followers. Firstly, we realize that we can't do it on our own. Like we said, we have no power to save anyone. Secondly, we realize that our sanctification, we must cooperate with God as he makes it work in our obedience to his plan. We aren't involved uh, in, in the initial change, but we are involved in our change as we walk along. We aren't inventing something new, by the way, but rather going back to what we find in Scripture and putting it into practice. For a couple of years now, we've had this thing called D3 groups. That doesn't go away. In fact, it's really going to help these groups in a lot of ways. To remind you, the D3 uh, is shorthand for the process that takes place in D3 groups. D3 stands for this. If you don't know this, write this down. D3 stands for disciplers, discipling disciples. Disciplers, discipling disciples. Do you see the process there? You get it. More mature Christ followers helping other people grow in their faith to the point of spiritual maturity so that they in turn will help other people grow 
into all that God has planned for them. Now, the D3 process that has worked so well at Bentry is beginning to gain steam. I talk about this all the time. I hear people's lives being changed. By the way, we'll get to this in the series, but one of the key ways to know you've reached a level of spiritual maturity is when you then begin to help other people grow in their faith. Walk down this path of spiritual maturity. We see in scripture and throughout church history, really, the path Jesus kind of laid out in front of us, for each one of us. We simply call that the discipleship pathway. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a definition. Here it is. Bent tree discipleship pathway. The way we follow Christ found in scripture to grow towards spiritual maturity. Now, get this down. Write it down. Bent tree discipleship pathway, the way we follow Christ, the way we live our lives, found in scripture, that's important, to grow towards spiritually, spiritually mature, spiritual maturity. It's simply a way to describe the process or, or this pathway that we find in scripture. And we've seen it has worked well in the lives of spiritual, spiritually mature people at Bentry. On top of that, we've seen uh, this biblical pathway as people have grown throughout church history, for sure. It's not a new system. We're not inventing something here. In fact, it's way old, like 2,000 years old. Going back to the time of Jesus and his disciples. Now, why do churches ever get away from this pathway? Well, I think that what happens is over time, churches forget the systems, the processes, and more uh, more mature believers don't pass it on always. They simply stop helping others along this pathway. And before you know it, people forget that there even was a pathway. But for us, as we read and study in Scripture and we see the necessity of making disciples, we're again again beginning to discover these best practices and these ideas to help us be more like Jesus. Now, let me set the record straight. What we're not saying is that if you check off a list of things on, on a sheet of paper that you're suddenly mature. And we're not saying that somehow that there is no other types of discipleship. But rather what we are saying is there is a general process that we see outlined in Scripture. A pathway that you can walk and we can introduce you to. A way to live life and interact with other believers in the church and those outside the church. But will help you better follow Jesus and grow more mature in your relationship with him. Does that make sense? Now, we're going to explore this pathway over coming weeks by using a map to help us. Here's the pathway. Won't mean much to you yet. (laughs) It's simply four four peaks, and we'll unpack that next week, what that looks like. Now, don't get hung up too much on this right now. We'll get to it soon. We'll unpack this. It's just a way of thinking about discipleship Then yes, By the way, I asked them to put a little Jeep on it because God is on his throne. So, by by the way, uh, yeah, I I, I think you're going to love this. We'll cover this and the biblical principles behind it all. 
Well, I can't wait to get started. I know I've covered a lot already. I even preached before I preached. But um, let's first go to God before we dive into this headlong, this news series. Would you just take a moment and just prepare your heart for a time of preaching? If you are in Christ, know that you are forgiven, that your, your sins have been washed away. They no longer exist. And that you are righteous in Christ Jesus. So are there sins that you're guilty of right now in your own heart that you need to get rid of? Go ahead and repent of those. They've been washed away. Is there someone you need to forgive? Forgive them. Oh God, as we start this new series today, as I feel like you have led us over these last few, really the last two, three years to make discipleship key here, God, I I pray that you help me preach the truth that you have, that you would be forefront in my mind and in the minds of the people hearing May your Holy Spirit speak to us that your truth comes forward. May I disappear and may we learn from you. And it's in Jesus' name we all prayed and said, amen. Well, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he physically met with and then trained his disciples for 40 days in his resurrected body. And one of those last times together, Jesus gave them very, a very specific statement and a command for them to carry out. We call it the Great Commission. Now listen carefully to it. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is speaking here uh, to the disciples, but don't misunderstand. He's speaking to all his disciples throughout the church age. That would include Bentry Church, where we're part of the church. Now, some churches over the centuries have left this great commission behind. They treat it more as the great suggestion. Somewhere along the way, churches have understood make disciples to mean make converts, just get people to convert to Christianity. Dallas Willard refers to this as the great omission from the great commission. The consequence of this is to give these converts the idea that discipleship is somehow an optional process Instead of a command. Oh, they don't admit to leaving this behind. But many churches, the way they leave it behind is to change what it actually means to make disciples. By the way, you can tell if a church is making disciples with really three simple questions. Think about this. First, are people in the church becoming more like Jesus? I mean church members. Do they show Spiritual maturity in that they have spiritual fruit becoming evident in how they live their lives, especially during difficult times. 
Like, do they have love, joy, peace, patience exuding from them? Are they gentle? Are they more long-suffering? Are they, are they kind? In short, are they more like Jesus year after year? That's the mark of, of a believer growing in their faith. But second, the second way to tell someone uh, if a church is carrying out Jesus' command to make disciples is to ask this. Are there more mature believers in Christ Jesus that begin to walk then alongside less mature new believers in helping them grow in their faith? That's a true mark of people that are mature in their faith because we see them both sharing the gospel with people in their sphere of influence and walking with people. And we see them teaching other people from the Bible how to follow Jesus in the everyday life. Not just thing that you can tell a church is making disciples is the church growing in the actual numbers of people and disciples now i don't mean that every church needs to be a mega church and, and giant i don't mean that there's nothing wrong inherently about being a large church though the, there are plenty of great churches that are large don't ever hear me knock large church But the question that we must ask, at a large church or a little church like ours, are there new believers growing in their faith? Now, we could go into a lot of other great marks of what makes a healthy church, and we'll do that sometimes, but it's the passage from Matthew 28 that Jesus gives this command to the church that always points us back to our mission to make disciples. Now, that includes both evangelism, sharing the gospel, leading people to Christ by sharing that gospel message, helping them once they do believe, once they are born again and saved, grow from being this baby Christian into a fully mature spiritual parent. Now, what's interesting to me is that when Jesus states this command, this great commission, What we don't see here is this passage, his disciples raising their hands going, uh, um, Jesus, how do we make disciples again? They don't ask that. Why didn't they ask Jesus how to make disciples right there? Because of two big reasons. One is they had seen what being a disciple meant. But two, Jesus had built these guys into mature spiritual disciples. All right. Notice I didn't say perfect disciples because they weren't perfect. Uh, We're not perfect until the other side, right? They still made mistakes, but they were mature. So this is, this begs the question then, what is a disciple, right? Well, let's look back to the beginning of Jesus when he called these guys the very first time to follow him. Look at this, Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 20. Two. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Now, there's a lot going on in that story, but let, don't miss the point of what we're talking about today. Jesus gives the definition of what a disciple is in verse 19. Look at your Bible there in your lap. What's strange to me is that these, this discipleship description here is so clear. And yet, if you ask 10 different Christians on the street what discipleship is, you'd get 10 different answers. Now, I hope that's not the case at Bentry. I think you guys, we've talked about this for three years. Now, we introduced this before COVID. Now, I hope you guys kind of get this already. But let's make sure that we're on the, the same page here by spending the rest of our time together making sure we understand what Jesus is saying to his disciples and therefore saying to us. What Jesus is saying, look in verse 19, Matthew 4, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice that Jesus gives these guys three parts of being a disciple. The three parts of being a disciple. Number one, here it is. They knows and follows Christ. A disciple knows and follows Christ. Let's take this, these apart one at a time. Jesus walks up to these guys and says, follow me. There's an invitation, really a command, isn't it? He's, he doesn't say, hey, you guys want to. It's really a command. But let's say it's an invitation. Follow me. Now think through this. What does it mean to follow someone? You can think physically before anything else is that you have been made aware of who is making the invitation. In this case, we learned way back in John 1 that the word had gotten out to these guys that John the Baptist had said about Jesus that he's the Messiah. In fact, we read in the Gospel of John that two of John's own disciples leave John the Baptist's side and go follow Jesus when he says that. And then they go and tell their family and friends about Jesus. We know that they told Peter and Andrew. So these guys we read about when Jesus walks up and says, follow me, understand they already had been made aware that Jesus was the Christ in John the Baptist's opinion. But keep thinking through this. What does it mean to follow someone? It means that the life that you were leading before Jesus called you, the path you were on, you have to leave that path and follow the path that Jesus is walking down. It means giving up what you thought to be right and place your faith and trust in the one person leading you on that new path, that new life. It means that you might have been following a path that someone else was leading you down, or it might have been one you were exploring on your own, just going, I'm just going down this path. Either way, you ha you're having to give up trust in the one you were following, or you're having to give up trust in your own decision-making process, right? This goes against what the world tells us. Sometimes it's painful to give up trust in yourself. I mean, think about it. every part of the world when you're growing up tells us all our lives, the truth is in you, follow your heart, be true to yourself, live your truth, as Oprah would say. 
And on the surface, that sounds like a good idea. It's a very Disney-esque thing. Follow yourself. The point uh, that is until the point you realize you don't have any truth inside you. Because you know you're screwed up. Right? The Gospel of Matthew we read earlier just gives this short statement of Jesus saying, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We saw that earlier. That's where we're drilling down. And that's right. It's what Jesus says, and they followed him. But it might help you to understand how that conversation got started. On the surface, it looks like he just walks up, and you might get the wrong impression and think, well, we've heard about Jesus, and John the Baptist called him the Messiah. Then Jesus walks up, makes this invitation, so they followed him. There's something much more dramatic that happens. There's more to the story, so let's make sure we get what happens here. Now, you can read about this in Luke 5 on your own, and it describes this in detail. I would encourage you to read this on your own. But right before Jesus calls these guys, Jesus is preaching to a large crowd of people on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd is so large, they begin to press closer and closer to Jesus. There's thousands. So Jesus looks around. There's a boat right there floating in the shallows that belongs to Peter. He gets into Peter's boat. They push out from the shore just a few yards and he continues to preach to all these people, this giant crowd. And when Jesus is done preaching, Jesus turns to Peter. He says, Peter, why don't you push out into the deep water and cast your nets? Let's go fishing. Well, the guys try to tell Jesus, we've been out all night. We didn't catch anything. But they obey because they just heard Jesus speak. And it's unlike they've ever heard. They already think he might be the Messiah. They cast their nets. They go out. And when they try to lift their nets, they're so full of fish, they can't get them in the boat. In fact, the nets are so full that the boats are actually at risk of sinking. So they call James and John and Zebedee, come over here, help us. Peter and these guys are stunned at this miracle. At first, when you're a little kid and read this, at least I did, I used to think they were going, yay, we caught fish. Look at all this money. But they don't. They're freaked out. They're scared. This is a supernatural moment. They go white. Now remember, this is just before Jesus says, come to me and I will make you fishers of men. This is key to understanding why these guys then begin to follow Jesus. Peter drops to his knees right there in the boat in front of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, leave me alone. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy even to be close to you. Peter knows that John the Baptist had said, this is the Messiah. This is the son of God. Peter has seen him do this crazy miracle. It's freaked him out. And he's heard Jesus preach. It's at this point that Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You in the know now? Peter's just said, I'm sinful. Get away from me, Jesus. I'm not worthy. He realizes he can't save himself with his own holiness because he has none. That's when a person realizes they can't save themselves and they're willing to follow Jesus. And until you get to that point when someone hears the gospel and Jesus says, come follow me. Well, that person that hasn't come to the end of themselves simply says, 
why? Why would I follow you? I'm doing just fine on my own. By the way, I think that's when Jesus is calling them to be fishers of men. Now, I think Jesus is kind of being uh, funny when, when I think about that. It is, he's, he says, guys, you thought that that miracle was big, you catching fish. Let me show you what a big miracle is going to look like. I'm going to change the world with you guys. He said, you, my friends, you're going to cast your nets in the deep waters of mankind, and you're going to try to pull them up into the big boat, and you're going to change the world. The reason I tell you that real quick version of that story is that Jesus puts the language of the gospel in terms of these working men. He says, I'm going to change you. These guys would go out into the world and do exactly what Jesus said they would do. But first, something would have to happen to these guys. They would have to grow into the believers that could help other believers grow. That's at the heart of discipleship. Notice something here critical. Jesus showed them how to do it. We could say he discipled them, right? So based on Jesus' teaching, let's refine our definition what a disciple actually is. Now get this, these guys don't know much about Jesus, so what else does Jesus say to them? Back to the second thing Jesus says in Matthew 4, 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The three parts of being a disciple of Jesus. Number one, knows and follows Christ. Number two, gives up control to be remade. Oh, please give this some serious thought. They give up control to be remade. Jesus makes a promise here, doesn't he, to these guys? In verse 19, he says, I will make you. That's a promise. I will do this. If Jesus is going to make you into something, that means that he is going to what? Change the way you are right now and make you into something totally different, something new. He's saying, the trust you're placing in me right now, I will make you into something or I will equip you to become everything I want you to be. That's another way of saying it. Now, The misunderstanding that most Christians have here is to think, Jesus is going to help me be a better person. I'm going to be nicer and stuff. I'm going to get raises. I'm going to learn how to balance the old checkbook. Like somehow he's going to give you a little little bit of an improvement plan. Like how to win friends and influence people. But the truth is, what Jesus is promising is a total change to a new and different person. You might think he's promising like a little remodeled job on your life, maybe some paint here, some throw pillows there, maybe some new carpet on the floor, you know, kind of what they, what those house flippers call uh, lipstick on the house, right? And you say, no, 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 we're, we're tearing down the old place. We're not even going to the studs anymore. Throw that thing out. We're we're bulldozing it. We're building a new mansion in its place. You see the difference? And as 
These disciples begin to follow Jesus. He teaches them by example. This is life on life discipleship. He's going to be with them physically. He's spending time with them as they physically walk the path from village to village and from one campsite to another. He teaches them what it means to be a disciple. Now, this is so powerful when you realize this. As a new Christian, Jesus transforms us into a new person as we follow him. We need to think of ourselves as clay in the master potter's hands. That's what happened to these guys. It's that relationship with Jesus as they followed him. They walked along with him. He teaches them through Bible study, prayer, and listen, just the hardships of life. He uses those hardships and the journey itself from place to place as a means to grow them. And Jesus tells them, this thing is going to be difficult. In fact, here's what I want you to understand. You are going to suffer along this pathway. It's going to be hard. And notice, it was not an instant growth process. These guys would spend three years with Jesus. By the way, sometimes I I hear people say, I wish... I could have walked with Jesus and heard him teach so I could just be stronger in my faith like I saw him personally. And there's a couple of problems with that. One is we have something much better as believers. We have the Holy Spirit of God actually living and active within us. And two, you can hear the very words of Jesus, him speaking to you. You can hear it out loud. Simply read your Bible out loud. Jesus, in his invitation to be one of his disciples, is saying, I will make you into a disciple. In other words, I will teach you how to be my disciple. Now, let's think of Peter. As he follows Jesus, what is the driving force behind his following? It's that he believed Jesus was the Christ, the promised Messiah. His actions Followed his beliefs. To follow means to acknowledge Jesus completely in what he said to do. And then, check this out, do it. Listen to how Jesus says it in John 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you, that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, don't get the wrong conclusion here. Jesus is not saying that you somehow earn your salvation with the way you live. That'd be a Roman Catholic idea. That's false. He's saying that if you are really one of his, you will do what he says to do. Look, Jesus is saying, it's not what you, just what you say, it's what you do that reveals the true belief in your heart. When Jesus is saying, follow me, he is also saying, I will lead you. You will go where I lead you and go where I want you to go. Not where you want to go, go where I want you to go. You will do what I want you to do. uh, And to do that means that you have to then what? Well, give up the plans that you have for your life. For me, that's a daily process. Sometimes hourly. Sometimes minutely. 
when we as believers surrender to Jesus as both Savior and Lord, he is making it clear that he is the leader and we are not. He's out in front of us. When we see that word Lord, it should always make us think that Jesus is the boss of our life. The king. Jesus teaches his followers in John 12 verse 25. Whoever loves me, I'm sorry, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, once we begin to follow and turn the keys of our life over to Jesus, what does Jesus do to the disciples? After we've been called to life in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're saved He promises to change us. This means then Jesus must have a plan for our life. To change us into that new plan. And it means that then Jesus has the ability to change us and to bring us into full maturity with him. Now when we can grasp grasp that plan that Jesus has and believe in his total sovereignty and his ability to take care of us as our faith and our maturity then grows after we have walked with Jesus through the storms, trust in Jesus becomes a very comforting thing. You've heard me say that believing in God's plans and his purpose for our life at the same time, trusting in his total sovereignty and ability, that trust that faith becomes a very soft pillow for you to lay your head on at night. So Jesus walks with these disciples for three years. All the way to the cross. They see him give up his life. They are scattered then at his death, hiding for their lives. They think they're next. But then three days later, they encounter the risen Savior. Jesus teaches his disciples then for the next 40 days in his risen body. But then he ascends to heaven and we read about in Acts 1 with the promise that uh, to send the Holy Spirit and return to take us home. Jesus says, I'm going to come in back. And after the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, in the early days of the very first church, now we see the same disciples who were scared for their lives But now they're different. Spiritually mature with the Holy Spirit. They're risking their lives, standing up to the ones that crucified Jesus, and they proclaim the truth straight to their face. Peter and John get called in front of these guys that had just crucified Jesus, and they stand up for the truth, even with them being threatened of torture and death. Well, remember, these are the same guys that were, to begin with, just uneducated fishermen that thought themselves too sinful to be in the same boat with Jesus. These these uneducated, rough fishermen boldly proclaiming now the gospel to these religious leaders totally confuses the leaders. In fact, it says, look at this in Acts 4, 4, verse 13, And when they saw the boldness of Peter, talking about the religious leaders, and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, 
common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, that we would be recognized. That we had walked with Jesus. By the way, we talk about this often here at Bentry. That this is a constant challenge through the ups and downs of life itself. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by that by testing you can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But it's the third thing, what is the goal of the teaching? What are his disciples to do with all that they've learned? Here it is. The three parts of being a disciple of Jesus. Number one, knows and follows Christ. Number two, gives up control to be remade. Number three, spreads the gospel to those in their lives. Spreads the gospel to those in their lives. Why spread the gospel? Why is that up to us? Can Jesus do that without us? And the answer is yes. He has unlimited power. Obviously he could. But listen. He chooses us as believers in reaching the world with the gospel. To save the lost, he chooses us to do that sharing of the gospel. By the way, how do we know that this is what Jesus wants us to do? Because he said it, Luke 19, 10. So the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus states clearly, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the lost. That's why he came to save his lost sheep. He goes, I'm going to find every one of that the Father has given me. And he has given us the found sheep, the purpose in finding those lost sheep and bringing them back to Jesus. Now, why do that by the power of the gospel? Why does Jesus do it? One more time, look back at Jesus' words in Matthew 4.19. 4.19 says, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's where we've drilled down to that today. Then compare that to what he said in Luke 19, 10 that we just read. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You see it, don't you? You guys are sharp. When we see Jesus' mission, we see our mission. The long and short of it. If we aren't about what Jesus is about, are we true believers in Christ? If we aren't about what Jesus is about, can we claim to be true believers in Christ? I don't think so.
Or are we fakers, false Christians, posers? Now, this may make you panic a little bit if you're a true believer. Don't let it. Because the question is, are you a Christian? Are you saved? That's not a bad question for a Christian to ask themselves regularly. So let me give you some comfort if you are saved. If you sense the urgency to begin to follow Jesus, well then, that's where discipleship begins. Non-Christians, unsaved folk, there's no desire to follow Jesus. Joining with the church as a member of the team and beginning to walk with the disciple, uh, other disciples along this pathway and other mature believers to grow in your faith, doing real life with them, going to church with them, meeting with them, being in a D3 group with them. You want to you wanna see real Christianity, the ups and downs? Join a D3 group. And opening up our lives to them, being vulnerable where you have been and where God has brought you on this journey, that's what discipleship looks like. You, you let them see what it looks like for you to walk this pathway, and it's not easy. In fact, Jesus says it's full of suffering. Then they begin to realize, hey, this isn't just temporary, a temporary thing I do for a season, but a true way to follow Jesus, a true way to live life as a disciple. In the next few weeks, as we meet together, we're going to begin to see what this map of that pathway looks like in our everyday lives, how we live it out. We're going to help you do what we call a self-assessment by looking at where you are in your spiritual growth and where you need to go from this point. And we're going to help you, equip you with tools to do that, not just in the series, but from here on out. And most importantly, we're going to grow together. There, that's the way uh, the church works. It's why we exist together in community so that we can help each other grow into that spiritually mature person. And then we help others grow into spiritually mature Christians. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as you've laid this on our hearts for over three years now, God, of discipleship and D3 and God, as you mature each believer in this room and those hearing my voice right now, God, you're maturing your church, the body of Christ. Father, we feel it here, but this world is getting darker with sin. God, I... When I was a younger man, I would think, you know, the world's bad. But now being a Christian, we stick out like crazy. God, I pray that you would make the people of Bentree disciplers. That we would disciple each other and bring people along this pathway that we as a body would grow into everything you have designed Bentry Church to be. That we wouldn't leave anyone behind. 
as you just continue to pray for just a moment, I, I want to ask you this. If you were a believer right now, have you looked at your discipleship, your spiritual growth through the eyes of saying, hey, I hope to become a little bit better. Like Jesus is going to do a little bit of an improvement plan in your life. Or like the disciples we saw, are you sold out to Jesus completely? Saying, I will follow you anywhere. Even if it leads to my physical death. Even if it leads to the promised suffering. Well, brothers and sisters, if that's you, my prayer right now is for you. God, would you make us radical in our faith to reach the lost and to grow believers into everything you want us to be. God, we want this church, your church, to be a beacon of light in this dark world that we would reach everyone on that highway to hell that you call us to reach, that we would pull them into the kingdom by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.